Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 in part two of a Bible study that I've entitled On Mission with Jesus. On Mission with Jesus. Chapter 13 represents the beginning of God's missionary outreach through the church. Of course, God is a missionary God. He has a heart to, uh, of outreach toward those that are lost. That's how you got reached. That's how I was reached. I mean, it started in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve find themselves in a place of sin and separation, what does the Bible say? He, God went after them and pursued them. Where are you? And that's God's heart. And the word mission, if you are taking notes, the English definition for the word mission is this an important assignment or an important expedition. The history of man is marked by God's mission to love and to reach us. God is a missionary God and his heart is outreach. What that means is, is his mission is our mission as the church. His outreach is our outreach. And as followers of Jesus, we are missionaries concerned with the lost. Some of us, some of you will be world global missionaries. That's unfortunate that the word missionary kind of stops at that definition where you think of someone who has a deep calling to a culture, to a place, to learn the language and sell everything and move to reach a group of people somewhere else. That is a true definition of a missionary for sure, a global missionary, but not an exclusive definition. Because in a real way, we are all missionaries. And I like to put it this way. We are all people missionaries. God uses people to reach people, rescuing and redeeming, sent into the world with hope to a weighed down, to to a culture that's weighed down with their own sin and the consequences of others' sin. God has always reached down and reached out to man. It's a consistent theme throughout the scriptures. You can jot it down in Philippians chapter two and verse five. I mean, this is the very essence. Listen and let it sink down. Philippians chapter two and verse five says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let's just pause there. Let the instruction of the Bible sink in. The Holy Spirit is saying, this is how you need to think church, this mind. This is how your mind needs to operate. You, and you need to let it happen. Almost, you, you need to pursue this. That You have to match the way you think right now with this mind that was in Christ Jesus. He says, you've got to let this mind be in you exactly as it was in Christ Jesus. And here's what it says. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. He came to you. That's the mind. The mind is not how you can be served and the mind is not how you can be reached as much as as a follower of Christ now, you've got to let this mind be in you. You live for the sake of others. That's your life now. 
That, that's the newness of life that you're walking in. You're, you're learning that the world doesn't surround you, but rather surrounds others. The redemptive plan and purpose of God is to reach the lost through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection equals new life for anyone that will turn away from their sin and choose to follow him, even today. Even in a few moments, you'll have that opportunity. Let that mind be in you, that you would empty out all your divine prerogatives, everything that you believe is yours for the sake of others. That's what we see beginning here in the church of Antioch, the beginning of the missionary outreach. This is such an important concept, such an important theme, such an important biblical truth that it's woven together in the vision of our church. You know, when we put together our defining documents for people that ask questions, why is there another church in town? Why does that church exist? Because, you know, there's a lot of great churches in town doing a lot of wonderful things all throughout Aurora, Denver, Colorado, amazing, wonderful, thriving churches, reaching the lost, reaching your neighbors, reaching your family. It's amazing to co-labor with so many wonderful churches. However, there's only one, this church, with this purpose. We have a uniqueness and a calling to our community that's not like any other church that God had a specific plan in mind when this church was planted. I mean, it, it reminded me of the property that we're in right now, you know, where we're sitting in a building. But before there was a building here, it was just open. It was just land. Uh, there was a time when there were all the houses going east, it was all just land. And some of you that have lived in Aurora for a long time, you come and tell me your stories. You know, you're like, yeah, I used to, I used to uh, drive my motorbike on that land. I used to party on that land. Well, now I want you to know the land has a, a building that belongs to the Lord and you can't party here anymore, only for Jesus. That's it. That's all. This building, this land was designed by God before you even knew it. It was his eternal purpose that you're a part of this church. It's his eternal purpose that we would be using this land for his glory, gathering together. So there's gotta be a reason why we're here. Not just a general reason that we all share with every church, but a specific reason. And we communicate it this way. It's not original to us, but it's what we've adopted. That the vision of our church, you can read it on the website and all the documentation we have, the vision of our church is simple. It's one word evangelism. That's why we're here, to reach the lost, with a responsibility to win, disciple, and send. That's what we breathe in and out here in this church, is what we're about to do going to be used of God to win someone to Christ? And once they're one to Christ, once they're born again, how do we build them up? How do we teach them? How do we train them? And then Every single time you leave, every time you wake up in the morning, you are sent out into the world. Every day, all day, these things are operating in your life and in our life. This is what's been transferred to you, the desire to reach the lost. Let this mind be in you. Go to the people. Share the love of Jesus Christ. Live it out in your lives in a variety of different ways. And we learned earlier in our study, turn over to Acts chapter 1, we learn God's strategy for reaching the lost. We learn God's strategy for building a church. We learn God's strategy in using that church to reach the lost. I was reading a sermon this week by a pastor, Adrian Rogers. Some of you are familiar with him. And it's, an, it's important that we follow God's strategy because he said something, I'm gonna adopt it as my own, I love it. He said, as a pastor, that he wasn't called to fill the pews, his calling was to fill the pulpit. And I'm like, man, I like that. 
Because my responsibility isn't anything other than being a witness. That's what God's called me to. That's what God's called you to. Just be a witness. And this is God's strategy. Notice in verse eight of chapter one. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And I want you to think of this in two ways. I want you to think of this responsibility individually, who you are individually, and then I want you to step back and think of this responsibility uh, for our church at large. So there's two ways. So first of all, God's power comes upon us. We're born again and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the gospel goes out, first of all, number one, it starts at home. You notice that Jerusalem, it starts at home. So on the personal level, your responsibility is to be a good witness at home. (laughs) That's where it starts. Don't think that anything else is gonna happen in your life unless you're faithful at home. It it starts at home. If you're married, it starts in your marriage. Single mom, dad, it starts with you and the kids. If you live with your parents, it's your relationship. It starts at home. You wanna be a faithful witness at home, which by the way, can be the most challenging place to be a faithful witness uh, as we just kind of let our guards down and, and we live life and the Holy Spirit uses our homes to challenge us and to refine us. But don't think for a moment, don't think for a moment that God would call you to world missions if you don't know how to be a witness at home. So I think that's what God's called me to do. We're gonna pick up, no, 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 listen. If you don't know how to serve at home, like don't think God's gonna call you across the world if you don't even know how to serve across the dinner table. Like God wants you to be faithful at home, number one, Jerusalem. Not for, for the church, well, every church has a local community that they're in. For us, it's Aurora. This is where we're at. We wanna be faithful in this city. God has called us to be in this city for the people of this city. That's our primary calling. And there's nothing outside of this city unless we're faithful here. And that's our, this is our Jerusalem. Then notice in the next, in verse eight, it says to Judea and Samaria. If you took out your Bible maps in the back of a paper Bible, which most Bibles do, you'll see that Judea and Samaria are regions around Jerusalem. So the gospel goes out. You're faithful at home, then it continues on. And you, on a personal level, you have in-laws, you have family, you have connections, you have work connections, you have people that you shop, you have people outside of home that you extend your life to. And as a church family, we have the Denver metro area. We have all of Colorado. We have the United States. We have a responsibility to be faithful in our Judea Samaria. So we plant churches and we have radio stations and we do things that are continually reaching beyond Aurora. And then thirdly, this is what we commonly understand missionaries to the uttermost parts of the world. But there's a particular order And as individuals, some of you are called around the world. Some of you might take a short-term trip. Some of you might be on a vacation one day, but you understand I'm on vacation, but I'm a a minister of the gospel. So I'm enjoying time away from work, but I'm not enjoying time away from the Lord. He goes with me everywhere. And and whether that or you take a short-term mission trip, like the team that just got back uh, from Uganda safely, and they were doing the work of the ministry there, they did a short-term trip, and who knows who got on fire to be a long-term missionary but there is world missions individually, also as a church. If you haven't visited downstairs, you need to visit the mission wall of the many missionaries, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. We got Aurora, got Colorado, United States, around the world. That's part of your church. And that's the encouraging part for us that God has called us to this city. He's given us direction. 
He's given us power to serve him with our whole hearts. And it's a truth that we fall back on when confusion comes, when we're not sure what the future holds. We're not sure what direction to take. We come back to the basics. Hey, why are we here? Why did this piece of property become a property owned by God for the purposes of the gospel? It's a foundation as we learned last time in Zechariah chapter four, verse six. Not by might, it's not by our power, but it's by his spirit, saith the Lord. That's how it starts, that's how it continues, and that's how it has to end. The missionary heart of the church, the missionary heart of our church starts right here in Acts 13. Now, I know some of you Bible students go, wait a minute, wait a minute, the church started in Jerusalem. Didn't the missionary outreach start in Jerusalem? Well, I guess on a technical level, you can say that, but you remember they left Jerusalem against their will. They didn't wanna leave. It was persecution that said, hey, we gotta leave and we're gonna lose our lives and we're gonna run away. It was persecution that moved them from Jerusalem and we're grateful that they took the gospel with them. But here in Acts 13 is the specific word of God So you got the broader sense of choosing God's word. And now this is the specific word of God that starts the missionary mandate of the church that continues on even to this day. Verse one, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. So let's pause there. It's a church gathering, Gentile church, newer. They're already coming together. And notice there's already prophets and teachers. God wants us to see that. When we were studying the spiritual gifts, remember, a new covenant believer with the gift of prophecy speaks forth the word of God, speaks forth. So there are men in the congregation that are identified here speaking forth the word of God. And then secondly, God wants us to see in this gathering that there were teachers there. And again, someone with the gift of teaching in the new covenant, they're able to explain the truth, to take the word of God and explain it. So you've got people explaining it, You've got people that are able to speak it forth, receive a word, speak it forth, and then they're named, notice, Barnabas. We met him. He's an encourager. That's his nickname. What a, what a wonderful nickname to have. He was just an encouragement to the church. This is a Levite from Cyprus, a very giving and caring man, used greatly in drawing Saul into the church and giving him credibility. Then there's Simeon, it says in verse one, who was called Niger. <clears throat> Simeon is a Roman name, probably from Africa, probably dark-skinned. So he's gathered together. Then there's Lucius. Lucius also is another Roman name. He's from Cyrene. We don't know much about him. And then check this out, this guy, Manaean. Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and then finally Saul. So Manaean, history tells us, was a foster brother of Herod Antipas. And you remember Herod was wicked. He's the one that killed John the Baptist and mocked Jesus. And yet from that corrupt living arrangement, the gospel was able to break through even to this guy, Manan. And now he's a part of the church. He's not aligned with with Herod at all. He's a part of the church. And then of course there's Saul. We're still a few years early into the church here. It's not very well defined so that the testimony of Saul is still very raw. You'll remember the testimony of Saul was that he was breathing in and out murders and threats against the church, wreaking havoc with the church, destroying families, even attributed to murdering people in the name of God. And now he's in the church. 
If you were in the church with Saul, I'm sure if Saul joined our church, there would still be some, I'm not sure about that guy. Keep an eye on him. I'm not sure. And he's there. God is working through him, but he's a part of the church. One of the things we notice again in the early church and in any any healthy church is the variety and diversity of the people in the church, just like your church. What a church filled with variety and diversity in this church. It's an amazing thing what God does. Different backgrounds, different parts of the world, different skin colors, different education levels, different income levels, different occupations, you name it, it is in the church. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing to be in a church filled with variety and diversity. But that's not what is surprising to the world that there's a group of people that are diverse. That's not what's important to the Lord. What's important is not diversity. And what's important is not variety. Listen, what's important is that when there's diversity and there's great variety, here's what's important. You ready? There is unity. That's important to the Lord. That's what the world wants. Isn't that what the world wants? Unity, unity. We even have the United Nations and let's bring unity. Unity will never come apart from Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the, the diversity in this room, like on Wednesdays, we have these impromptu uh, testimony times and you hear the testimonies, you're sitting there going, whoa, wow. Man, I've been sitting next to that brother. I didn't know what, he came from that background. He'd been going, he's been going through that. He, he was over there. He just got out of jail, whatever it might be. And you're just sitting there going, man, God, you're powerful. Look at where they come from and look what God is doing and look what he wants to do. The power in the church is not diversity. And you know, a lot of churches even try to do that. We're gonna go after, we're gonna have a multicultural, multiracial church. Now listen, just have a church that Jesus blesses and you get all of that in unity. You get all of that in unity. Why? Because God is doing a new thing in the church. It's not like the world. You're not going to get this in the world. It's only from him because we learn to set aside our differences for the sake of the gospel. (laughs) That's where unity comes from. We learn to serve one another and to love one another, to value him above anything else. That's what's happening in the early church. That's what's happening in our church with all of the diversity all the changes. I want you also to notice, it says in verse two, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. The Holy Spirit is in charge of the church. Whether you and I choose to yield to the Holy Spirit, that's a different topic. But the church belongs to God. It's not yours and it's not mine. And the Spirit of God is ready to lead you. The Spirit of God is ready to speak to you. The Spirit of God is ready to empower you, is ready to carry you and direct you if you're open. If you have ears to hear, like Jesus said, what the Spirit is saying to the church. And here's the thing. It all has to do with your heart and mine. As someone once said that the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. And Pastor Chuck Smith taught us when it comes to ministry, he used this phrase and I quote, if you strive to attain, then you must strive to maintain, end quote. And what I believe he was trying to teach us is that how you start is how you're gonna have to continue. 
how, how you start something. For example, in ministry and following the Lord, if you start by working really hard to attain some spiritual level of success in your mind, then you're gonna have to work even harder to maintain that level and keep working, working, working until you tire out and completely give up because you can't work that hard. Like when you are, if you're striving for something, then you're gonna have to keep striving the rest. If you start with striving, you're gonna continue with striving. But if you start with the spirit, you will continue in the spirit. Paul would even tell the Philippians, he'd say, he, he would ask them this question, have you guys started in the spirit only to be perfected in the flesh? And I have to say that question needs to be asked again today because many people do. Many people start out very, very well, but they don't finish well along the way. I'm not just talking about a blowout at the end of their lives. I'm talking about things along the way where they get so excited, let's put it in a context of serving God, serving God in ministry, if you will, maybe serving in your local church where you're like, yes, this is so awesome. I can't wait. I want to do this. I think God's called me to this. I think I've heard the voice of the Lord and this is what I want to do only to find down the road, you're all beat up and burnt out and now you're complaining and now it's a burden to you and an obligation and, and find yourself, you know, I can't believe it. Where's everybody at? You know, like I've seen ministry leaders do this where they might have an event and then they have people sign up to, to uh, serve with them. There may be 10 people and they come to the event and the 10 people don't show up. And then I'll hear, I can't believe it. what kind of church is this? 10 people don't show up. What do you mean? And you might say, nobody shows up. And I'm like, that's not true. You're there. So why don't you serve? Oh, I don't I want to be upset about the other 10. Yeah, but you're there. Didn't you say you wanted to do this? Yeah, I wanted to say that, but now I want 10 other people. No, no, no. Let the Lord deal with the 10 people. But it sounds like God's dealing with you right now. Because when you see ministry as a burden and as an obligation, whether it's in a church or like, I don't want to show the gospel anymore. And I don't want to be a witness at work. And everybody's getting away with stuff. And you start complaining and you start murmuring. Let me just tell you this. You are not in the spirit. You are now in the flesh. And God will not bless your flesh. You know that by now? He will not bless. I mean, you think about it. You don't need a pastor to tell you this. You think about it. Last time you complained and murmured, how did God bless that? How did God bless it? You just made things worse. You bummed out somebody with your complaints and you didn't come to the Lord and then you got bummed out and there's more friction because as much as God values unity, the devil loves division. He loves division. He celebrates division in churches. And it happens so often because we don't guard our hearts. The early church here, they're ministering to the Lord, they're in unity and they're hearing the voice of the Lord and doing great things. When a church is in the flesh, individuals, when they're in the flesh, they don't hear the voice of the Lord. So they're fighting with one another. And now the leaders, we all have to get involved and try to solve all these problems. And we will because God has given us the leadership, but like it's just wasted time. If you would just get your eyes on the Lord, we wouldn't waste our time. We can all go forward for the gospel. Does that make sense? It's not okay to be in the flesh, church. It's not okay. It's not okay to be in the flesh as a single it's not okay to be in the flesh in a, as a married couple. It's not okay to be in the flesh as a servant of the Lord. It's not okay to be in the flesh as a ministry leader, as a pastor, as a pastor's wife, as kids. It's not okay to be in the flesh. Have I made that point clear? Hello? Okay, just one. Okay, because I hear the people on the radio longer, louder than you and they're not even here. Like, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but listen, God has a future for you. There's a destiny he's writing out and you're not gonna get there in the flesh. That's not gonna happen. You're gonna be stalled and stunted and then you're gonna be pulling down people with you 
because you're in the flesh. I didn't say that. The Lord said that. That, that the, like, just think of that, the wrath of man. The Bible says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the Bible says in Galatians that one of the works of the flesh is outbursts of wrath. And you can go through and think, oh, it's gotta be the heart. Let me show you where it looks in the heart. Turn over to Exodus 36. This is so good. Because when your heart is right with the Lord, it is amazing. You can't stop a person that's in tune with the spirit of God and empowered by the spirit of God. And notice this episode in the life of this growing nation being drawn out of slavery, which is a great picture and a type of your life and mine. I'm gonna give you a couple things to mark. If you have your paper Bibles, I want you to mark them. You can highlight them on your phone or your tablet, but I don't want you to miss these in this episode. Exodus 36, verse one. And Bezel Eliel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. So this, there's going to be a tabernacle built so that the people can come and worship and serve and they can meet the presence of God there with the Ark of the Covenant and they're gonna make it temporary so they can pick it up and travel as they're following the Lord. And there's artisans and special people that are called to, with special purposes like we're seeing in Acts 13. In verse two, it says, then Moses called Bezal, Leal, and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan, and mark this phrase, in whose, in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom. Don't miss this. God dropped wisdom into their hearts. And everyone, secondly, whose heart was stirred. So you've got a group of people now, there's wisdom that God's doing a work in their heart. And then secondly, God is stirring hearts to come do the work. Verse three, and they received from Moses all the offering that the children of Israel brought for the work of the service of making of the sanctuary. And they continue to bring him and mark this third phrase, free will offerings every morning. This was not forced or coerced or manipulated. Why? Because God is moving on their hearts. It's the same thing that happens with you. God moves on your heart and you just go for it. God speaks to your heart. This is where we get the phrase where God's speaking to our hearts. Or even in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said and spoke to the hearts of the church to get Saul and Barnabas and send them out. Here, the free will work of the people of God was stirred by God. It was a response to God. Every good thing we ever do, every good thing we ever do is in response to God. We are the responders. God is the initiator. And if we'll just be in the right position, abiding in Christ, he'll speak to you more than you can handle. And you just be stepping out in free will. It says in the rest of the section here, it says in verse four, all the craftsmen who are doing the work of the sanctuary, they came from each of the work he was doing. They spoke to Moses and said, hey, the people are bringing much more enough the service of the, of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave the commandment and let it be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. Isn't that great? We've seen that multiple times in this church, over and over and over. Big things, small things, like God has abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, more than we can think or ask, always provided for everything we've ever, he's ever put on our hearts. 
If I ever get come to say, hey, I think it's time to move and God's moving us on. We got a new building. It'll be because God stirred our hearts. And then it's laid before the people and God stirs, hey, this radio station, we're going to buy this one. We're going to buy that one. Hey, we want to get out of debt. All of those things, each and every time in the life of this church, this is the kind of church you're a part of where we can come up and go, you know what? We were, there was a time we were asking. We're not asking anymore because we got enough. It's all right. Everything's great. All the needs are taken care of. That big step of faith is taken care of. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're not in the right place, in your walk with Jesus Christ, then your heart is hardened toward God stirring it and dropping things into it. Because God has to take a different posture with you. And that is to soften your hard heart. If you're holding a grudge and you're all bitter and you know, self-centered, whatever it is, then God's dealing with that. And you don't hear. You don't hear the Oh, you know, it's just another church wanting my money again. No, no, no. If that's your attitude, keep your money. We don't need it. My God has way more money than you. He owes the cattle on a thousand hills. We don't need to manipulate or course anything. If you don't have a free will offering, keep it. That's between you and the Lord. But if you don't get excited about something, then you just have to ask yourself. You got to go home and look in the mirror and go, why am I not excited about the things that God is doing in my church family or in my family? or some open door, some new thing that's happening. Because God is working on the heart. True service is when someone's heart's in it. That's how you started. That's why you see so many times, like even with the church in Ephesus, what did Jesus have to tell him? He said, you know what? You guys need to get back to your first love. That's your problem. You're so busy and so active, but you're not, it's not out of love. You need to remember from where you have fallen. You need to repent of that sin and then go back and do the first works. Remember when you were born again, so many of you, man, I'll do anything for the Lord. I'll go anywhere for the Lord. I'll give, I'll just do whatever you want, Lord. And then time happens and before you know it, you're doing nothing or you're upset or you're complaining or you're mad at the very people that God called you to serve and you're just in the flesh. That's not God's will for your life. When you have a church gathered together like this in Acts 13, they are not in the flesh. They're in the spirit. They learn the lesson well as we learn the lesson well. And I know when your heart is in it, it is a labor. We do get tired. There are difficulties. It's not like we won't help sort out why didn't 10 people show up or whatever. Of course we will. That's what God's called us to but there's no striving, there's no grumbling, there's no complaining. We're not trying to make something happen. We're wanting to keep up with what God is already doing, just ministering to the Lord, seek his face. That's why another church can be doing something where like, God bless you, that's God's call upon your life. Because you notice back in verse, thir- in verse two of chapter 13, that Paul and Barnabas, or excuse me, Saul and Barnabas, they had a work to which he has called them. So there's a uniqueness of the work that God has called you. Even though they've been prepared beforehand, according to Ephesians 2, there's a uniqueness in your work. That's why it's foolish to compare yourself with other people. The Bible says that. Because God's doing something in you. God's doing something in her. God's doing something over here. God's doing things. And in all the diversity and variety, he's bringing what? Unity. For the sake of his glory. 
As we minister to the Lord, we come together and encourage one another and strengthen one another and fulfill the call that God has called us to, called me to. I, I'm, it's important that I take the call of God upon my life and respond with faithful obedience. Otherwise you won't receive. If I choose to be unfaithful and disobedient, you'll suffer. I'll suffer for sure, but you'll suffer because God has given the church pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so if the pastors, myself included, are not walking in the spirit, I mean, you don't want pastors in the flesh, do you? I don't think so. I'm gonna ask that out loud. You can say yes or no. Do you want pastors in the flesh? No, we don't want a congregation in the flesh either. So we're together on that. We don't wanna be in the flesh. It holds back. And God's doing a new thing. He, 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 <laughs> the coming of the Lord is at hand, church. You gotta open your eyes. Everything that you see is just a reminder that you're on mission with Jesus. Don't you forget that. It might upset you. It might freak you out. You might do a, a lot of different things in response to the culture the way it is right now. But I'll tell you this, if the culture the way it is right now does not spark in you a desire to be on mission with Jesus, you have totally missed the point. Because that's God's heart for us. Let me show you one more thing and then we'll head out. I love this phrase, ministering to the Lord. Because we often talk about, as we did last time, ministering for the Lord. But there's this episode here where the Bible is very clear that they were ministering to the Lord. So we have to ask the question, what does that mean? And I can give you a broad sense. I think we talked about it before, you know, reading the Bible, praying, uh, serving. There's a lot of details, but let me give you the broader sense here. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. I think the Holy Spirit says it a different way here in Romans chapter 12 of how do I minister to the Lord? You know, we're coming to a Bible study right now and we have a church service. We're beginning our week. We're listening to the radio right now or watching on YouTube somewhere. And, and so we're here to receive, but before we receive, we need to give unto the Lord. Like we need to minister to the Lord. And you're like, what can I possibly give to the Lord that he doesn't already have? Notice in Romans chapter 12, verse one. I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does it mean to minister to the Lord? I believe it can be summed up in simple, in, in simple language, and that is, they came in a surrendered, submitted posture. They came in a submitted, surrendered posture. A desire to hear from the Lord, to lay down those cares and concerns. Because you know, it's not God's will for you to live life all upset all the time and begrudging everything. It's the exact opposite of Jesus' heart for you, you know? Remember what Jesus said? He invites us to himself and he says, to those of you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and what? I'll give you rest. Peter, later on to the weary and the tired, he would say, cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. That's the heart of God for you. It's not to go through life so angry and frustrated all the time 
whether it's church-related, whether it's family-related, whether it's work-related, whether it's culture-related, it's not as hard for you to live in the flesh all the time, but rather to come to him in a position of sacrifice and submission, pleasing, practicing your faith, presenting yourself to him. And I know it's hard serving people in the church, outside of the church. I mean, how many of you right now in, in your job have a position of customer service? How many of you have a position of customer service? Quite a few, okay. So I had to do this in other services, so I learned. How many of you in your life have to deal with people? How about that? Oh yeah, there you go. It's hard to serve people, amen? It's hard. People can be difficult and demanding, amen? Guess what you are? People. It can be very challenging. And then you add the layer of spiritual warfare within the context of a church, it gets really, really hard. So you don't know, you can't see the fiery darts. You don't know, you don't know where this is coming from. Or what. Like it can get really, really hard. People can be demanding and difficult. It can be one of the most frustrating things to do to serve someone else. That's why people quit and they give up. That's why, that's why our flesh is provoked, especially in the church. We're all humans. You're, we're in a, a large gathering, and so we're going to have friction. We're going to have challenges. I, I came, when I moved to Colorado here, I came from a much larger church, Calvary Chapel in Downey. My pastor, Jeff Johnson, used to share. It's probably about seven or 8,000 people when I left uh, and came to this church, came to this city to plant a church. And something he was always teaching us, I want to share with you today, especially in a church that's growing and continues to grow over the years. I want you to see this in your Bible. So turn over to Proverbs chapter 14. You got to see this. He used to remind us all the time. He'd weave it into his messages <clears throat> probably every three months or so to remind us to stay in the spirit. And he used this kind of obscure passage, but very powerful as you understand. So you got Psalms and Proverbs chapter four. We're all humans. We're all growing in grace. There's growing pains in any church. We're all in the process of being changed. So of course there's gonna be difficulties. Of course there's gonna be challenges, especially in the church. And he would remind us here in Proverbs 14, notice in verse four, he would say, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. And to that, many of you say, wow, Ed, that helped a lot. <laughs> but here, let me explain. It's very simple. Where there's no oxen, everything's fine and clean and no problems. There's no oxen to deal with. They're not butting heads. They're not dirtying and messing it up. The trough is clean. It's all fine when there's no oxen. But where there's no oxen, there's no strength. So what do you want? Do you want strength? Well, then guess what? There's much strength with many oxen. And with many oxen, it gets dirty and nasty and messy. That's the word that's being used today. The church is messy. Why? Because we're all dealing with stuff. And as the church grows and more and more people come, it's going to get dirtier and dirtier. That's just the way it is. That is God's will for us. Clean stalls, man, that's not our desire. We, we, want, we want to see God do much increase. And because of it, he's going to do much increase, there's going to be a lot of stuff to deal with. You know, these things are going to come to you. So you got to be ready 
to deal with them spiritually and not in the flesh. And if we're doing it under the Lord, we won't be griping, we won't be murmuring, we won't be complaining, but we'll be trusting. Be careful not to let the faults of others drive us inward. Because here's the thing. One of the most frustrating ways to live your life is to live for yourself. Some of the most frustrated people I meet are those who are centered on themselves. And it's all about them. And it's all about what their needs are and what their, it's all about them. One of the obvious things we see in the believer in the early church, Saul particularly and Barnabas, is this absolute surrender to Jesus. Where we come to the place where we go, Lord, my life is in total surrender to you for you to use me any way you see fit. That's ministering to the Lord. You want ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Submit yourself to him. Get your eyes off of people. Get your eyes off of situations. Get them back on the Lord. See him high and lifted up in his holiness. This early church comes together and the atmosphere was set in unity, in diversity, in variety, in an openness, in a submission where they're praying, they're fasting, they're ministering. The Holy Spirit speaks. And they're so quick to pray and fast and go, okay, if this is what God wants, we got to send them out. And they send them out. And the first of three missionary journeys starts here in Acts chapter 13. It's not going to be an easy road in the missionary journey. It's not an easy road going after the souls of men and investing your life in the word of God. It's not going to be easy. You can read the testimony of everything that Saul went through. You guys that are Bible students, you know you can read ahead that even in the partnership of Saul and Barnabas, they ended up separating over a third person. Isn't that always the case? Isn't it always the case division of people is some third person? It's rarely the two. It's always someone else. We just got to keep our eyes open. Say, okay, Lord, I want you to use me. We want to be entrusted with the leadership of the church so that we might stay open and sensitive to the leading, guiding, and movement of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to just say it. We don't want to just parrot it. We don't want to just print it on a pamphlet somewhere. We want to live it. That's God's will for your life, that your life would make a difference and you would live according to the eternal destiny and will of God for your life. I mean, how many of us don't say, Lord, speak to me. I want to know the work that you have set me apart for. And he will as you come to him. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word today. And uh, just the dynamic work of your spirit in, your, in the text here, just knowing that you have a particular work that you're wanting to accomplish in and through your church. And I just pray, God, it's a hard message to hear because we don't want to come and be, you know, be even thought of that we might be in the flesh, but we can be. And there are some today that are, that you're just ministering to them and softening their hearts so they could come back to you, Lord. So they can come back to how they started. That's how they started. They're so excited. It's so awesome. I can't believe it. The Lord, I get to serve the Lord, but now I got to serve the Lord and I don't want to. And I just pray that you would soften their hearts, Lord, for the sake of your church, for the sake of unity, for the sake of whatever. And I know this message will be, if you don't come back, it'll be on the radio in a year and it'll be ministering to people. It's universal, the work you want to do in our lives. So bless those listening to me right now and draw them to yourself with the cords of love that they might come in humble, repentance. And for others, you may be here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. So the church right now is praying. They're just praying for you. We've been praying all week that God would touch you, 
minister to you and bring you to the point of decision. And I wanna give you that point of decision. If today you wanna align your life with the creator of the universe, acknowledging that you have sinned against a holy and righteous God, and that if you will turn away from your sin and choose to follow Jesus Christ, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, listen, you will be saved. And so I invite you today, do you wanna be saved? Then come to Jesus Christ. Right where you are, you can just stand to your feet and I can pray with you and help you turn your life away from your past and submit it to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Is there anyone here that would say, yes, that is me. I see you in the back, God bless you. Who else would say that's me? That today would be that day of reckoning. Here you are in a church, hearing about the love of God. <laughs> and he invites you to himself. What a great God. Anyone? I know you might be downstairs or online and we don't see you, but for you guys in the room, we want to see you. Well, we want you to make a public proclamation to follow a God who publicly gave his son for you. And here we are, that moment of truth of God working in and through his word to bring you to a place of surrender. Just let him work in your life. This is what you've been hoping for, what you've been desiring. God puts words to, it's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, your savior. And those that respond near and far, you can pray with me right now. I'll help you with this confessing with your mouth. You could say something like, God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. And I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me and to die for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to save my soul. And I choose to follow you from this day forward. Today is a great day, church, and a great day for those of you that would choose to yield your life to him. He is your only hope. And Father, I pray for those near and far, those in the room and downstairs, just the beautiful gift that we have of sowing the seeds of the gospel, watering those seeds and seeing the increase. May you continue to use us being on mission with you, Lord, this week in Jesus' name. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.